Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Freakishly Well-Behaved Kids. I'm Jody Mullen, and um, this is a series of podcasts dedicated to helping parents and other people who are connected with children. Um, we get to help children behave and be their best. I'm in a unique position to share this with you because I've been a child counselor and play therapist for over 20 years. I'm also a mom. I learned many lessons from my child clients and, of course, my own children. They're my teachers. This informs my parenting as well as the parent coaching I do as part of my clinical practice. I recognize in working with thousands of children and parents that there are simple principles for parenting. I'm going to cover more than 20 principles for blissful parenting so you too can have freakishly well-behaved kids. These principles are simple and life-altering, and you'll really see that today. They will change and enhance the relationships you have with children, how children behave, and how you feel about yourself around children and improve your overall parenting scheme. In this podcast, June Rickley, my co-host, and I will be talking about a specific principle or lesson. We're going to be talking about reflective listening and how you can apply it. Um, there will be special guest steps to further my conversation on other podcasts, and you'll want to stay tuned for my upcoming book, Freakishly Well-Behaved Children, and check out my website at www.integrativecounseling, that's one word, .us. And follow me on Twitter at Dr. Julie Mullen. So today my guest is my friend and colleague, June Ripley, who is a licensed mental health counselor and a licensed in New York and a licensed professional counselor in North Carolina, also a credential play therapist like myself. And uh, together, I think we have well over 25 years of experience in working with kids. Hi, June. Oh, do I have you there? June? Okay. I don't know if June's with me. So um, let me see what to do next. Okay, well, I want to talk about um, reflective listening. So while I work out some of the kinks on this end is I'm going to definitely talk about um, reflective listening and how that can help you work with kids. First, you need to know what is reflective listening. So reflective listening, can you, June, can you hear me? Uh, Okay, sorry, I'm having some trouble getting June on the line today. Um, hmm. Okay. So anyway, um, so let me talk a little bit about reflective listening. June, are you there? Not yet. Hmm. Okay. So I might have to do this without June because I'm having some technical problems. Okay. So anyway, what is reflective listening? Reflective listening is an active form of listening, which means that you're doing something. You're not just passively listening. And in reflective listening, what happens is that um, as you're listening to the person who's talking to you or communicating to you, and we're going to use that word communicating kind of um, here because when kids are listening, it's not just um, it's not just communicating through words. They're also communicating through um, their play and their nonverbals. June, are you with me? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yay, finally. Oh, Can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you. I, was, I needed you. <laughs> so, okay. So I was just starting to explain what reflective listening is and um, why it's the 
reason we're going to teach it to you is because when you once you learn reflective listening, um, it improves all your communication. And really, with kids, it becomes even that much more important because tech, traditionally, adults aren't the best communicators with kids because kids and adults communicate in different ways. Reflective listening is a skill that you can use, um, you know, at the workplace, with your friends, with your kids, uh, with your partner. The basics of it um, are going to sound very simple, uh, but they require some practice, and they also require some nuance. So, you know, just giving a background on reflective listening, anything you would add to that? Um, I, I... I didn't hear what you first said, but um, I think just, you know, basically getting an understanding of a child's, like, you know, of their inner world and, and kind of like reflecting that back to them. So it's not, it's really just, um, let's see, it's really just getting into their world, observing by nonverbals, verbals, all of those things, what that child is experiencing and feeling and 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 being able to communicate that back to the child. Yeah. So what you said, there's a lot of pieces in there that that make reflective listening um, sound easy, but actually is a difficult task. So first of all, in order to even do reflective listening, you actually have to be listening. <laughs> so, I mean, that makes sense. Um, but you really have to be listening. And when we say listening at the professional level that we're talking about, but um, which requires you to um, to really get at a professional-ish uh, level, is that we're not just listening with our ears. We're also listening with our eyes. What are we seeing? What are the child's facial expressions look like? How are they um, holding their body position? What's their posture? Um so we're looking at that, but, and we're also feeling. What's the feeling going on here between the two of us? Is there um, a standoff? Is there um, some warmth? What you know, like we're listening with not just our ears. We're listening in a really complete way. And the best way to do this, and we've talked about this on in a number of. Um, past podcast is definitely by getting at the child's level um, so that this way you can see their facial expressions really clearly and um, you could detect size and other kind of what we call paraverbals, things in their speech um, that lets you know a little bit more about how they're feeling. So the very first step is to make sure that you, that, that person that you're trying to do reflective listening with really has your attention and that you're focused on them. Of course, um, June and I are both parents. June's also a grandparent. But there are always, you know, there are always distractions, even, you know, beautiful ones like um, a bird chirping in the background. But how the amount of focus that you have to have, um, there's a level of dedication around that. Anything else in, like that, the very basics of that, June, that I'm missing? No, but I, I you know, I, I, I think like what you said, it's a simple thing, but it, it, it's simple, but yet it sounds kind of strange, but it's simple, but it's so profound in, in how you can enhance relationships, not only with children, but like, like you said, Jody, with, with just about everybody. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and I think that's important to keep in mind. It also will not 
feel very natural. We should let you know that at first, is that when you start doing this, you're going to feel kind of robotic and unnatural. We hear this from our students and our um, and mm-hmm. parents that we all the time, um, but it's, it's practice. The first time you drove a car or got on a bike, that didn't feel natural either, and so it, it, there is a practice issue here. So the uh, basics of it are is that somebody is sharing something with you. They're communicating, and this, you know, for our purposes, we're going to focus on children, but really could be anybody, and as you're listening, even though they aren't going to tell you how they feel you are going to try and tease out of what they're communicating a feeling. So that's the, the, the most basic aspect of it is that as they're communicating to you, you are going to try to give them a response where you demonstrate, I get how you're feeling. Um, something we've talked about here before lots of times, empathy is definitely going to play a role in this. So as you're empathizing for the person, um, child, adult, whoever, is, and you get a sense of what they're experiencing, you want to put a feeling word towards that. What else would you add? To exactly. And it's just it's, it's like perceiving their world as they see it and experience it. So it's really getting into, um, you know, getting into the, the, their skin and communicating yeah, yeah. that back. Yeah. And so that can be hard sometimes or lots of times. One, because the people, I mean, if you just start paying attention and observing people around you, ch- children and adults alike, um, and teenagers, you know, as well, is that you'll see that we're pretty a pretty guarded um, culture in general, if you look at dominant United States culture, we still, you know, are pretty good at keeping our feelings in check. So a lot of times when people are feeling something really strongly, you only get a little bit of a glimmer of it. So it's not like, um, it's not super easy to identify how a person's feeling. The other thing is, is that particularly for children, they've been told not to feel and that they're, they're not what they're feeling for many years, starting when they're very, very little. So when, you know, a child is crying and we say um, it's okay, that's not a reflection. That's what that is, is Mm -hmm. saying, like, um, everything's going to be okay and giving them sympathy and support. But a reflection would say something like, you're really scared if they're crying because they're scared. Or you're so Mm -hmm. hungry that you're, you know, crying. So you identify the the feeling. That doesn't come very naturally or, um, I, you know, June and I have a little bit of a different thought about this. We think it did come naturally, but then it got turned off. <laughs> so we're, mm-hmm. we want to turn that back on. Go ahead, June. Well, and I think especially um, – when when talking about parents and relating to their kids, many times parents will ask, will ask, and and I guess this is the big difference is that many times parents will say, well, how did you feel? How what's going on? And and children sometimes need help in figuring that out and figuring out exactly what is this feeling that I have. What what and and that's so. It's it's a lot different than asking a child how they're feeling. It's actually observing so that you get an idea of, of what they're feeling and kind of help them along to understand it. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm so glad you said that. So 
first of all, I want to put a little bit of a rule in here. Reflecting feeling is not asking a question. So it means you cannot, if you're truly reflective feeling, be asking a question. So you can't say, um, like you hear, you know, stereotypical counselors say, and how does that make you feel? You can't say, why does that make, why do you feel that way? You can't say, how are you feeling? None of that is a reflection. Reflection of feeling is not a question. Reflection of feeling is a statement, and as June said, an observation of what you think as the listener, the person is feeling. So I might say to some of you sitting out there listening right now, you feel really confused by this information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm giving you an idea of, of what I'm reading from you. What is so um, frightening to a lot of people in the beginning is that when you do that, it feels like you're imposing a feeling word on a child. That's not true. Um, if you get it wrong, the child will tell you. They'll actually say, no, I'm not which is great news um, because, and we've talked about this before, when children correct you, that means they feel safe with you. The other thing is they're saying, I know how I feel, and that's not it. And so that's about self-esteem and um, competency and all of that is woven into that there. So it's real important to, even though you might make a mistake, to still, to still go for it. The other thing that's important there is it should be developmentally appropriate. So I'm not going to say to, you know, a three-year-old, oh, you feel so agitated about having to change your appointment time or you're really um, hostile, (laughs) Uh, you know, right (laughs) now. Those are words I'm going to use with a three-year-old, but those are words I might use with a teenager or, you know, so you have to, in order to even gauge that, is you have to have done your listening beforehand. And so um, with your own kids or grandkids or kids that you um, have in your daycare center or in your classroom, you already know that because you've spent time with them. You know what words are too big, so to speak, for them and what, what words that they can start to incorporate. Go ahead, Jeannie. I'm going to share too. Well, exactly. And I, th- I, I think – you know, as parents, many times, and I, you know, I, I, I'm, my children are all grown, and I have little grandchildren, and, um, you know, many times you want to get into a problem-solving or fix-it mode for them. So, so it's, it's hard sometimes for parents to see a child's feelings that are uncomfortable, sadness, um, you know, frustration, things like that. And so the tendency, I think, as parents is to make them feel better. So instead of kind of like, you know, going there with that feeling of like you're feeling really lonely right now, it's, it's um, but that's, yet that's what the child needs to be able to kind of like figure out, well, what is this thing that I'm feeling? And so the, you know, it, it's, and, and what I think all of us love to feel like somebody understands us. Yeah, absolutely. And that happens that such a young age so when we're able to do that and you know june and i have been you know blessed in terms of our work and been able to you know be with very young children who need counseling and be able to reflect their feelings and the experience that they have you know right away um is really very different and so um important to them i remember this really little one that i was working with a um, 20 month old in counseling and you don't want to know why a 20 month old needs to be in counseling but they did mm-hmm. um, and the 
the little one walks in in his diapers and he takes one look at the playroom and his eyes just light up. And I just said, you're so excited to be here. And he just went, I'm so excited. And in that moment, <laughs> So that he knew what excited meant. He could barely say it. But it was the feeling of connection that I said something that registered somewhere inside of him. And then he felt connected. And for a tw- you know a 20-month-old to be in a room alone with a therapist for a half hour is, um, you know, is a pretty tough thing. But this one felt safe because I was able to do that. And that's what you want to be able to do with your own children is that if you can reflect their feeling and like not all the time, I want to be, you know, really clear that I would be making my kids crazy if I was doing this all But if you do it sometimes, then your child is going to feel understood. And I think we can all get back in that time machine of childhood and adolescence and think, oh my gosh, what would it have been like to have, to have been understood? Oh, boy. You know, even, Jody, in a case of, you know, say there's a child, this is like a, just a really simple example, a child who may be, um, have, uh, be nervous or anxious about something, but for, for that child, it just feels like butterflies in their stomach. So mm-hmm. for, the, for, that, for the parent to be able to reflect back to them, like, you're really nervous about that. I can tell, you know, in whatever way. You're really nervous about that or you're really anxious about that. That gives that child the ability to be able to say, oh, this thing, that's called nervous or anxious. And so it allows them then in the future to be able to communicate and and tell you what's, what's happening with them. Yeah. And that is so key because think about this. If your kids have the words to express how they're feeling, they don't have to act out how they're feeling. Think about temper tantrums. Think about slamming doors. Think about crying fits. Mm -hmm. All of those because there's not another way to express themselves. And if you're giving your kids back these words, now they have the words to express themselves and they don't have to act out. I'm going to share just a story. I may have even shared it before, but it's worth it. So um, I was working with this little um, five-year-old boy in play therapy, and he was trying to use the suction cup um, toy gun in the playroom, and he couldn't do it. So he threw it down on the ground, and I said something like, you're really frustrated. Um, and, he, you know, he agreed. He said, yeah, and then he moved on to play with something else. Next time he comes in, he does the same thing. I say, oh, it's so annoying that you can't get that to work the way you want it to. He, again, affirms it. He agrees, and he moves on to something else. Third time he comes in, I say, oh, you just hate that. You can't get that to work. Um, again, he agrees, but he moves on to something else. He's just too frustrated to continue with it. The fourth um, time he comes in, he picks up the uh, suction cup gun, goes to throw it down on the ground because he can't get it to work. But then he looks at me and he just says, uh, Jody, I'm just so frustrated. And I, I love that right? <laughs> because he, he didn't get quite get the word. He almost got the word. But rather than take that gun and throw it on the floor like he had did angrily all 
the times previous to that, this time he had a way to express himself. I'm just so frustrated. And that's exactly um, what should happen. So we, you know, I mean, one of the things that we really encourage you to do is right away start practicing. Look in your the eyes of the kids that you're connected to at their faces, at their body language. Listen to their tone of voice. That's, that's going to tell the story and, and try to come up with a feeling word that's connected to what you're seeing, experiencing, and hearing. Mm-hmm. What else did you add? I'm sorry, Jody. I, I didn't hear you. Oh, I just said, what, what else am I missing? What else did you add and start, in um, terms of getting started doing this? Sorry, it's sorry, it's cutting out a little bit. Um, you know, I I think if to give like um, there's there's one example that really um, stands out to me that uh, actually it was a there's a guy in who's a well-known um, a play therapist named Gary Landris, and in one of his books he tells the story about a parent who was telling him that. Um, about her daughter who walked home from school a couple blocks with a bunch of kids every day. It had been drummed into her head You come directly home. And, and, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't stress it enough. And then on this one particular day, she was waiting for her child, didn't come home. She's 10 minutes late. The mother's frantic. And all of a sudden the, the child appears. And so the mother said, you know, was questioning her and, and the little kid said, well, Sally lost her doll and the mom said oh so you stopped to help Sally find her doll and she said no I stopped to help Sally cry and so that was I think it it was such a beautiful example of how children intuitively like they she knew what that other she knew what Sally needed yeah she needed to be understood it, it was. It, it, she really, you know, it, it really is such a beautiful story because this little kid knew that Sally, Sally, right then needed to be like understood and 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 yeah. what she was going through, and just she needed somebody to be with her at that time. Right. And imagine you're doing that for your, you know, for your own kids. It's like, um, you know, just knowing. I I remember um, at my children's elementary school. It's a very big deal. They have the haunted gym on Halloween, and the sixth graders <laughs> you know, put on the haunted gym. And I can't remember uh, which of my children it was, but one of them, when they were in kindergarten, um, had been talking about the haunted gym, the haunted gym, and they um, then it came to be the Halloween celebration day in school, and they didn't feel well and so they were saying like you know I know it's um our Halloween party day but I don't I don't feel like going to school I feel sick and I'm thinking oh I think they're scared about the haunted gym because it has this you know huge (laughs) and so um you know and 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 I said well you you know you don't have a fever and you don't um that maybe you should still go to school you're going to miss out on a really big day and then I could just see just a little bit of that, like, real fear in um, my child's face. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're really scared about the haunted gym. And they just, you know, started crying right away. And that was it. Like, they couldn't find a way because the haunted gym is such 
I know everybody gets so hyped up and excited about it, but they were really scared. And, you know, ultimately I made a decision that they didn't have to go to school. That was my, you know, my choice. But, uh, you know, I think that those moments that you can have with your kid where they can't, um, it's not that they won't, and this is really important for you all to know, it's not that they won't express themselves, it's that they can't, they don't have the words. We need to give that back to them. So when you ask a child how they feel, and yes, we've talked about this before, and they say, I don't know, they really don't know. So we can take some guesses, and, you know, as parents, there's nobody better equipped to do that um, than us. Um, exactly. You know, and the other, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Any? We're going to add something else, June. No. And and well, and I think when and in, in in that case, like be having your um, you know, your child's when you reflected their fear, um, that 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 then they get they they are able to accept their own feelings. So having that validated and. Um, you know, and, and reflected back to them, then then they're able to more accept those feelings in themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Because the, and then then they know it, and it's like, oh, um, it doesn't just feel like, oh, my mom knew what I was feeling, or my dad knew what I was feeling. It also feels like, and that's okay, you know. Exactly. So mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. To reflect, you know, just to do, to sort of tighten up here with that we have a few more minutes left, is that reflections of feelings are going to include fe- feeling words, like I said um, earlier. And you can honestly just Google feeling words, and you'll get a whole list of different feeling words. And we suggest that you start practicing, even, you know, if you practice, um, like, to yourself when you're, if you get, if you're in the car and someone cuts you off and you say, oh. You know, Jody, that was aggravating when that happened, or, or you know, or um, mm-hmm. you know, you're waiting in line at the store and you just notice, oh, I'm getting so impatient. Just noticing feelings in yourself is one of the the prime primers in order to be able to do this. The other is definitely practicing if you have a dog. That's an easy one to practice with. They're so excited to see you. Um, they're happy to see you. They need to. They're hungry. They need some water. All those kind of things. And ultimately, you're you know you're going to do that with your kids. And I I want to say that in our role as mental health counselors and play therapists, we are constantly doing this. And you know a lot of times we hear from both our students and and parents that we teach this to is like, well, I bet kids get really annoyed with you. Um, and I can tell you the thousands and thousands of sessions that we've done that has not happened. And part of it is is that we're pretty subtle about it. But the other is that it feels good to be understood. So even when you're when you're being annoying about it, <laughs> it doesn't you know still appreciate that. It's like the kids will give you credit for trying, even if you don't get it right or even if you're being a little annoying. Exactly, and and I and and I think uh, another thing that's really important to remember too is that um, reflecting anger in a child doesn't make them more angry. And and I oh. I think somehow and it, somehow it's there's been this message conveyed that children shouldn't be angry about things. And yet I've said to so many parents, well, I'm allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be right. angry. 
It's just that sometimes, okay, if a child is angry and is, you know, hitting his sister on the head, okay, so they need some help in being able to express it in a, in a better way, but that anger needs to be validated, and it, it, will, it will more diffuse it than accelerate it. And I think the same is true for even, you know, sadness. They're not going to become more sad when they're, when those feelings are validated, they need to be able to be feel understood. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we, we really encourage you to do it. Um, I mean, I think that this, you know, in thirty minutes with, with a little bit of uh, trouble getting started oh here today. <laughs> My fault. Um, that we can't, you know, we can't give um, you the whole entire thing. But we really, you know, if you're interested, we'd like to hear from you, and we would be happy to help you um, transverse this uh, reflective listening thing because it will bring you closer um, and and more connected to your children. And honestly, this is what will help them behave better because they won't have to act out once they know that they're understood and listened to and that um, they feel that so really amazing stuff. Thank you again for um, listening to us. And, June, thank you so much for your input and being patient with me today. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jody. My pleasure. All right. Goodbye for now.